quick disclaimer, we're telling the stories of Aphrodite this week, so some major adult themes. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Aphrodite from Greek and Roman myths. We'll see why. If you find yourself riding in a shell speedboat, you should never look back. And how you should be careful when chopping down trees, because they might have babies in them. The creature this week is an Italian fairy who will sit on your chest while you sleep and make your horses fireproof. This is Myths and Legends, episode 325, The Power of Love. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're currently, over the next year, telling the stories of the Olympians from Greek and Roman myth. This week, it's Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty who sprang fully formed from sea foam after her, let's call him father, had a pretty traumatic event. We'll start in the time before humans, and say hello to Aphrodite. Aphrodite sat up in the water. So, this was existence. Cool, alright. She held her arm out. Born full grown. That felt notable. She rocked on the ocean, the islands a mist off in the distance, A shell rose from the water in front of her. That was a little strange. Doves and sparrows fluttered down and held her hair. Oh, nice. Like a Disney movie here. She took the waiting shell to mean that she should board it. She stepped from the foamy, squishy raft that she had been riding for... uh, forever? She looked back from the shell as it began to float away. Wait, was that? No. Oh, no, it it was. Aphrodite didn't know. She didn't need to know. She didn't have much context for how, you know, existence should go, but she was pretty sure she shouldn't see that as her first thing. She shuddered in disgust, threw up in her mouth, and waved her hands to urge the shell to go faster. By the time she reached land, Aphrodite was able to put all that out of her mind, mainly because... Unlike what she left behind, the site of her very unorthodox birth, everything she saw before her was beautiful. She touched the barren island and, from the soil below her, flowers and grass emerged. She ran along in the cool breeze at the late dawn of the world, and she was happy. She heard the war in the distance, but instinctively knew that it was not her war. She would learn later that it was the Titanomachy, when the Olympians battled their parents for survival and eventual supremacy of the world, the heavens, and the underworlds. She didn't want to go fight or kill. She was love. She wanted to love and be loved, to enjoy beauty and pleasure. War was the antithesis of what she was. She knew there were others out there similar to her. There had to be, but there was only one her. So she let the Titans and the Olympians have their war. She enjoyed a peaceful, beautiful life on an island in the not-yet-named Aegean Sea. She was around when they named the island, Paphos, in Cyprus. She would walk among the humans in those early days, 
a pastime that was made more comfortable when the seasons, the daughters of Themis, arrived to clothe her. Then, one evening, a light descended from above. When Aphrodite's eyes adjusted, she saw her, Iris, the messenger of the Olympians. Aphrodite? Iris asked. Aphrodite nodded, and the woman smiled. Today was a wonderful day. Today, Aphrodite was getting adopted. Aphrodite blinked. Uh, what? Iris nodded. Yep, the king of the gods was adopting her as his very own daughter. Aphrodite said, was this for real? Yes, look, not that Iris didn't want to sit here and have a chat about the finer points of all this, but the king of the gods, oof, was not a patient man. He had thunderbolts at the ready. He was so excited to use them. Aphrodite said that she didn't seem to have a choice in this, did she? Iris smiled politely. She was happy that Aphrodite was picking up on the subtext of this conversation. Iris said, wait until you find out about the forced marriage. Aphrodite said, wait, king of the gods, forced marriage. Iris told her to come on. She would explain everything. As she got ready to go, Aphrodite said, king of the gods. I didn't vote for him. You don't vote for kings, the messenger started and then stopped herself. We're, we're not doing that. Aphrodite smirked. So you're like my aunt? Half aunt? Because you don't have a mom? Aphrodite said that there wasn't a precedent for any of this. How was someone related to someone else when she just sprang from the sea foam surrounding his grandpa's severed... But oh, Yeah, we don't need to hear about the, the bits. Again, I've read the reports, Zeus interrupted. He paced back and forth, sandals hitting marble. They had a bit of an issue here. You see, she thought she was fine down there, but the rest of the world took notice. Aphrodite said, okay, great. It's not great, Zeus shook his head. Not great at all. You see all those guys? All those desperate, leery, sweaty guys out there? The ones that lined the hallways of Olympus as she walked in, practically flooding the place with their drool? Aphrodite said, yeah, no. She got it. He could continue. They all wanted to marry Aphrodite. You were looking away, so I don't think you fully grasped the air quotes around Mary. Aphrodite said, air quotes or no, that sounded like a them problem, but Zeus kept talking. He told her that he had to nip this sort of thing right in the bud. Otherwise, you had jealous Olympians fighting each other, jealous women fighting her, and if the humans got involved for some reason, ugh, that would be a big yikes. So no, Zeus said it was an everyone problem. So congrats, she was getting married. Aphrodite said, cool, uh, no, she didn't want to. Zeus said that was nice. Uh, it was happening, though. Aphrodite replied that no, no, it wasn't. Zeus said he had about a dozen thunderbolts that said it was. Aphrodite looked to the basket of crackling thunderbolts. She swallowed hard and Zeus smiled. Good, good. Now, back to planning. Aphrodite said fine. If she had to get married, she passed this guy on the way in. In the intense, brooding type. Big muscles. But, you know, from the look in his eyes, she got a feeling that there was more to him. She felt like they had a connection. He would be good. 
Zeus pointed at her. That was good. A woman choosing her husband. What? She's the goddess of comedy too. That's hilarious. No, no, this was ancient Greece. Zeus would choose, and it would not be Ares. In fact, he had a whole contest going. The queen of the gods, Hera, had been kidnapped by her son, Festus. It was this whole hilarious thing where she tried to use him to overthrow Zeus and got herself captured. Anyway, whoever freed Hera got Aphrodite. Zeus looked out and saw Hephaestus bringing Hera up himself. Dionysus having done his buddy a solid, like we talked about in the last Greek episode, and low-key manipulated him into winning the contest. Wow! Plot twist, it's the ugly one! Zeus bellowed. The irony. It's like something out of a play. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I got it. It was... Dionysus put it together, okay. It's not that she didn't love Hephaestus. Well, okay, it was exactly that she didn't love Hephaestus. She didn't know Hephaestus. He was a nice enough guy. It wasn't that he was always sweaty and stinky, staying out at his forge all hours of the night or when he was home. He went on and on about his projects and crafts. It was just that they had no common ground. And it's not that Ares talked a lot or almost at all, but they shared the same intensity. He was a gasp of oxygen in this life that she didn't ask for, in this life that wasn't hers anymore. The first time she pulled him inside her home and he kissed her, she was alive. The affair began and... Hephaestus knew. Aphrodite didn't want to hurt him, but she didn't want to be there. So she would meet up with Ares, Hephaestus's half-brother, while Hephaestus was at work, and she would try to forget about what her life had become. That is, until he sprung the trap. Now, last week we saw this from Hephaestus's point of view, but for Aphrodite it was humiliating. She was there, with Ares, in bed in the most compromised position and an unbreakable net dropped on them. The other Olympians emerged from behind a curtain. It didn't help that they laughed at Hephaestus almost as much, Aphrodite just wanting the whole thing to end. But while everyone was wiping their eyes, Apollo and Hermes stood there and Hermes was stunned. Wow, he would not mind being in Ares's place. Like, for real? Nets and humiliation and all, Apollo looked at his younger brother, who had grown into an adult in the time since his episode. Oh, three times the nets, no question, even with all this, people laughing and stuff, Hermes replied. Zeus watched Hephaestus run off and shook his head. Weird dude. All right, punishment time. Infidelity would not be tolerated among the Olympians. The Olympians blinked in astonishment. Ah, uh, okay, what? Zeus nodded. Yep, if infidelity was tolerated among the Olympians, the entire system collapses. Literally, once again, the entirety of the Olympians looked to Zeus with a cocked eyebrow. Really? Zeus said, yeah, he was serious about this. They were one big family, literally. You know what infidelity did to them? It would tear them apart, so it had to be dealt with. Hera in a Athena looked at each other. They thought they could grasp what was happening here. Athena turned to her father, and so this would go for the male Olympians too, then? <laughs> Zeus said, uh, uh, well, let's 
focus on the issue at hand, this very prominent Olympian who was a woman cheating on her husband. But the men she, like Artemis started, Zeus cut her off. We aren't talking about the men. We are only talking about this case right here. Zeus said if, and it was a pretty big if, if a male Olympian cheated, they could talk about that. But the issue at hand was Aphrodite literally being caught in the act. Now, he paid a dowry for her when she married Hephaestus. This affront to the institution of marriage must be compensated. Ares? You have to pay back the marriage gifts, Zeus said. Ares growled again. The Olympians looked at each other. This... Things were going to get bad again, weren't they? They all knew Ares didn't have the money to cover the marriage gifts. I'll I'll secure Ares' debt, Poseidon said. Apollo shifted over. Uncle P, what are you doing? I love her. Poseidon's voice cracked in a whisper. Apollo, you realize if he defaults, you'll need to take his place. Under the net, Poseidon hoped. He shook his head. He meant that whatever it took for this ordeal for Aphrodite to be over, he would do it. Okay, whatever, yes. As long as there are consequences for Aphrodite, I mean, people besmirching marriage, you can secure his debt and they can leave. Zeus started lifting the bronze net and Ares was gone. The last anyone saw of him was him sprinting down the steps wearing only his helmet. The others ogled, but Hermes ran to Aphrodite's aid throwing a cloak over her and helping her with the net. We'll see the fallout of this from Aphrodite's point of view and see what happens when Olympus gets a playground, but that will be right after this. Zeus accidentally kicked a sippy cup and it went flying. What the? There were three kids playing on the Olympus playground, something that was similar in construction and appearance to, but legally distinct from the trademarked McDonald's play place. And wait, why was there an Olympus playground? We had it put in, Hermes smiled. Poseidon nodded. Both had a lot of bags under their eyes. Figured we needed a place for the kids to play. (laughs) Baby boom going on up here. Hermes raised his hand for a high five. Poseidon left him hanging. Ah, he's still sad. I've had time. I've I've gotten over her, Hermes said, and gave his child a thumbs up as they started to go down the slide. Aphrodite, man, she's been hurt before. She doesn't want to settle down, and (laughs) who could blame her? Wait, you and, and Aphrodite? Zeus's jaw dropped. Hermes nodded. Oh yeah, his relationship was a while back. They started a family together, but she couldn't stay. Hermes said that he would care for the baby. Then she took up with this guy. Hermes stuck out a thumb to Poseidon. She went to speak with him about Ares' debt, and, well, one thing led to another. Poseidon sobbed while rooting through his baby bag. His sons were winning those applesauce pouches, which are terrible for the environment, but no parent of young kids can afford to be without. Zeus shook his head. Ares defaulted on the payment, by the way. Zeus thought about holding him to it, but for reasons he wouldn't go into, he felt like it was equally important to punish infidelity, but also not punish it 
too harshly. Then he furrowed his hairy, wild brow. Wait, so you... Zeus pointed and Hermes nodded, grinning. Then you... Zeus pointed and Poseidon sobbed. Zeus stomped. This was so unfair. But isn't she like your adopted daughter? Hermes asked. That's weird and bad, even for you. Zeus grumbled. Yeah, sometimes he would be real. Sometimes it was difficult being so principled and virtuous. Still, though, it wasn't fair. Hermes waved to his child and Zeus sneered. Also, tear the play place down. Gods grow up in like two weeks. This thing will never get used. And it's messing up the vibe. I'm going for like classic stately power, not Midwestern daycare. Oh, 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 not a play place. Hermes yelled after Zeus as he left. Definitely not a play place. Hermes looked at Poseidon. He's powerful, but he's not McDonald's attorney's powerful. Poseidon just sobbed. All right, Iris called out. The honor... Iris paused. The judge, Zeus, presiding. Zeus motioned for everyone to sit down. A sour look on his face. He hated this part of the job, the actual doing of the job. Two goddesses. A dispute he needed to settle. Then he would get back to doing what he did best. Literally nothing. He asked the goddess bringing the suit... Aphrodite, to please lay out her accusations. Then he would hear from Persephone, his sister-in-law, the non-consensual wife of Hades, and then he would issue an order. Aphrodite began. So when she fell in love with this man born out of a tree trunk, Zeus cut her off. Um, okay, he was gonna need some context for that one, like any context. Aphrodite grimaced. She wasn't proud of how things had ended up with Mira. You see, Aphrodite, she knew she was beautiful. She did. But these humans, she mostly stayed out of it. But every now and then, one would run their mouth, saying she or her daughter was more beautiful than Aphrodite, and Aphrodite had to respond. It was like a trademark dispute. If she knew about it and let it go, it deteriorated her position in the eyes of gods and humans. Zeus nodded, oh, he got it. He did that sort of thing all the time. Aphrodite grimaced. That didn't help her feel better about this already terrible turn of events. Anyway, the queen of the Assyrians, of an empire to the east, boasted that her daughter, Mira, was more beautiful than Aphrodite. Aphrodite could not let that go unanswered, and she'll admit she was having a bad day. So she overcorrected a bit. She placed an unnatural love in Mira's heart. Zeus grimaced. How unnatural. Aphrodite winced. She'll be real. Probably the worst. She made Mira fall in love with her own father. She didn't need to do much after that. And she'll be real. When she cooled down, she realized how bad it was, but didn't realize how bad it would get. Mira would see that love fulfilled, and she did. On a time when the women of the city were abstaining for nine days, Mira's nurse, who had saved the girl from a self-inflicted attempt on her own life, set up the union 
to try to save Mira from her own despair. It happened multiple times, but the ruse was undone by the turning on of a light. The king of the Assyrians saw Mira's face in the torchlight and wailed, chasing his daughter from the kingdom with the sword, then also every other kingdom. The problem, well, one of them, was that Mira was not only on the run for her life, but she was pregnant. Aphrodite felt very bad about this. One feeling planted in annoyance had cascaded into destroying several lives. She found the weeping Mira on the Arabian Peninsula, and the woman, not wanting to face the living by staying on Earth, or wanting her father to catch up with her and face the dead in Hades, begged to go somewhere else. Aphrodite granted her request and ended her torment when she turned the woman into a myrrh tree. Hey mama, Cupid, aka Eros, asked, who's that? Wait, hold up, Cupid was there? Zeus cocked his head. Aphrodite said, yeah, it was her weekend with the little guy. His dad, Hephaestus, had a job he needed to complete and <laughs> Aphrodite stopped when Zeus stifled a laugh. Sorry, was something funny about her custody situation? Zeus shook his head. No, it's just his father, Hephaestus, really? Aphrodite said she was married to Hephaestus when she conceived Cupid. Zeus said, yeah, but come on. Come on, it's us. Really? Really? Aphrodite said that, moving on, it was her weekend with Cupid and he would flutter alongside her. He was a few years old now and I guess could go with his mom to watch her turn hapless women into trees. And that's what happened. As Mira's feet took root and her skin hardened, she breathed for her last time as a human, a sigh of relief. Small leaves sprouted and the tree swayed gently in the wind. Then there was a knocking, then a crying. Aphrodite froze. Oh, oh no. She cracked open the hollow part toward the center of the tree, and the baby writhed, screaming. Aphrodite froze. She didn't know what to do. Here was a baby, brought into the world because of her curse. It was doubly innocent, because Aphrodite had cursed Mira, the mother, based on her own mother's words. Still, something had to be done. And minutes later, the baby was on his way to the land of the dead. He, he, well, okay, hold, hold up. He was on his way alive to the land of the dead. You see, Aphrodite had a friend, Persephone, who had a lot of time on her hands. Aphrodite already had a few kids that she looked after, and several more that the fathers looked after. If Persephone could just watch over the baby, while Aphrodite tried to find a place for him, that would be fantastic. So, of course, Persephone fell in love with Adonis, the man that baby grew into, which was not the deal, Aphrodite pointed to Persephone. Persephone said that Aphrodite left the baby with her and just, like, never came back. Aphrodite said she came back, eventually, when she learned how hot he was. And yeah, it's... A strange situation, but Persephone raised the child, basically. And for some reason, Hades didn't seem to care or notice all that much, as the boy grew from a baby to a child to a man, and then, 
Wow, what a man. In our stories, Persephone doesn't have a strong love of Hades. He did kidnap her and trick her into staying with him, and we don't see too much of their relationship. In this episode, though, we do see a bit of her relationship with Adonis, because, yeah, after she basically raised him and he was an adult, they entered into a relationship together. Pretty twisted, if you really think about it, or think about it even a little. Some of the pantheon was grossed out, but not Aphrodite. She was incensed for about an hour. She and Cupid made it down to the underworld. It was her weekend again, and Cupid clamored over Aphrodite the moment they spotted the adult Adonis. Hey, it's that guy! Cupid slid down his mom's shoulder and scratched her. As soon as the point of Cupid's arrow broke the skin, Aphrodite's pupils dilated. Adonis. She was in love with Adonis. Aphrodite tried to claim him because she had possession of him originally. Persephone tried to claim him because, well, she raised him. Zeus shook his head. Well, there was only one solution here. Divide Adonis in half and give one half to each goddess. He sat back to watch his clever ruse sink in. Aphrodite nodded. Great. Persephone crossed her arms. Perfect. Zeus said, really? That was, come on. No, that was supposed to work. One will plead, no, let the other have him, and that was the woman who loved him the most. Are we going to get to cutting or what? Persephone and Aphrodite asked. Zeus said, you know what? This was gross and weird, even for him. His ruling was that he didn't want to do this. He was kicking it to a lower court case dismissed. And all of this in the mythology happened. Well, except for Zeus pulling a King Solomon with Adonis. I just thought that was a funny addition. Zeus did recuse himself on the grounds that he didn't wanna, and sent it to the muse, Calliope, who pretty instantly decided that they both had kind of a gross claim to this young man. So the only fair thing was to split time with him. Like Persephone's situation, Adonis would spend a third of the year with Aphrodite, a third with Persephone, and a third for Adonis' time. Because she sensed that these two were gonna be kind of a lot. We'll see this man timeshare situation work out about as well as you'd expect, but that will, once again, be right after this. No! Aphrodite screamed, shoving Adonis out of the way on the mountain path. The wild animal threatening him sauntered off. Adonis stood up, rubbing his neck. He thanked her for being so protective of him, but that was a rabbit? Aphrodite looked at the bunny, hopping down the trail. Yes, but they bite sometimes. They can have ticks, lice. Better safe than sorry. Adonis shifted in his many, many layers of clothes under his leather cloak, what Aphrodite had made him put on after they said their goodbyes just now. He understood that that was her outlook here. It's just that when he was with Persephone, she never made him do stuff like this when he wanted to hunt. He could run and he stopped mid-sentence. 
Aphrodite had put on her girdle, her magical belt that made her irresistible. Adonis flew to her open arms. She said she was sorry. What was he saying about Persephone? Adonis shook his head. Sorry, who? Aphrodite smiled. Me, they both heard from further on down the trail. They spun to see Persephone. Aphrodite's eyes widened. Oh, was it spring already? How the time flew. What are you doing with him? Persephone demanded. Aphrodite replied that they were just spending some time together. Yeah, but it's not your time, Aphrodite. It's Adonis's third of the year. Persephone crossed her arms. Aphrodite shrugged. Not her fault. Adonis wanted to extend his time with her. Right, babe? Adonis furrowed his brow, but then Aphrodite directed his chin so that he saw her belt. He nodded, yes. He wanted to stay with her always. Aphrodite held up her hands. See? Can't be helped. It was his time to do with as he liked. Persephone grabbed Adonis's hand. Well, it was her time with him now. Adonis wrenched it away. Persephone gasped, but that wasn't what they all agreed on. Aphrodite put her hand on Adonis's shoulder. He should go with her now. It's okay. Aphrodite would be thinking about him the whole time he was gone, too. She said that final sentence while looking directly in Persephone's eyes. Persephone fumed and the pair left together. Aphrodite snickered as she descended into the bath. Despite, or rather because of, the nick of the arrow, Aphrodite did actually care for Adonis. She thought she knew the ins and outs of love. Aphrodite was the goddess of love, and yet it had her. It was different from Ares and Hermes and Poseidon and all of the others. She finally knew why she had so many worshippers. She rose from the bath in the mountain pool and, oh, sorry, a voice called out. It was a young man. She squinted. Apollo's boy? Aramanthus? What did you see? Aphrodite demanded. He said it wasn't that he was looking for her. He was just out for a nice walk on this remote mountain and, uh, well, he saw everything. Sorry. But, you know, he could, he could stay if she wanted him to. Aphrodite didn't believe him that he was just out for a walk and happened upon a goddess bathing. Also, she had to get out to get her clothes, so, yeah. With the flick of her wrist, she told Aramanthus to open his eyes. He wanted to appear hesitant, but didn't quite have the self-control. He immediately looked and... Wait, he couldn't see a thing. It was just darkness. She had blinded him. He yelled out to her. What did she think she was doing? He was the son of a god, an Olympian. Oh, are you? Wow, welcome to a club called Everybody. Deal with it. Get your dad to fix you. He's the healer, right? Psh, some guys. Aphrodite got dressed and made her way down the mountain. Persephone said to her cousin, Ares, Look, she leaves you, and she falls in love with some mortal, some 
human named Adonis, who isn't nearly as jacked as you, by the way, and you, the god of war, are just going to put up with that? It's, mm, wow. I thought more of you. Ares glared at her. You know, if it was me, oh, I'd be so jealous, like, you know, like you're always doing. It's not cool dumping you for some nobody after she was with your brother and uncle. You know, if it was me, I'd I'd do something about it. Something drastic. Something you, Persephone said. Ares simply glared, lip up with a sneer. Oh, okay then. Good talk, Persephone lied. Aphrodite wasn't near Adonis when the boar found him. She heard him cry out and ran to his side, but it was too late. The boar was massive. Adonis hadn't listened to her. He had hunted something larger than a squirrel or a very small mouse, yes, but he had matched bravery with bravery. The bravado led to disaster. Adonis rose, staggering toward her, his blood dribbling and trailing all over the ground. And she held him, wailing as she did. He looked up at her. They met eyes, and he smiled. He looked at her with a desperate, panicked yearning before his eyes closed. Aphrodite held him there for a while longer. Her hands were dripping with his blood. She knew that the boar that got him was bigger and nastier than any she had ever seen. It had been sent for him. She said a small, tearful prayer, and the blood droplets fell from her fingers. Wherever the drops fell, an anemone flower rose from the ground. It would be a small, windswept flower, one not long for this world. Each year, people would plant it in honor of Adonis, knowing that it wouldn't last, but still allow themselves to appreciate its beauty and mourn all the same. Look, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. We both loved him, but I took him, Aphrodite said to Persephone. It was the first time they had spoken in weeks. They were both invited to a mandatory forced wedding between a goddess, Themis, and a human named Peleus. Who knows, it was some Zeus drama no one wanted to be involved in. All the Greek pantheon was invited. Well, all of them except for one. Persephone did not expect that from Aphrodite, but smiled sheepishly. It was no problem. She had loved Adonis too. Things just got a little crazy. They could be friends again. The pair hugged, and Persephone caught the eye of another guest, standing off by the edge of the dance floor. She thought he was scowling at her, but Ares had resting rage face, so you never really knew. Persephone said she would be right back. You're not her friend. You wanted him dead. Ares grumbled to her before she could say anything. Persephone looked left and right before turning back to him first, keep it down, second, 
Why did he think he could say that to her? He was the one who killed Adonis. Ares looked her dead in the eyes. I wouldn't do that to her. I didn't kill anyone. Then he paused. Correction. I kill a lot of people. I didn't kill him. Ares took a long swig of wine and disappeared into the crowd. Persephone turned to go back to Aphrodite, but found herself face to face with Apollo. As the god of music and dance, he was 100% in his element in the middle of one of those big dance circles, but he was taking a break, wiping some sweat from his forehead, catching his breath. He just had to say he was sorry about the kid. Persephone said she didn't know what he was talking about. Apollo said Adonis. Sorry, he knew Aphrodite and Persephone were in sort of a timeshare situation with him. Weird stuff, but it looked like Aphrodite was winning. He had to die, though. She blinded my boy. Persephone said it was you? Apollo shrugged, yep. Don't tell anyone, though, or do. Doesn't really matter. What's she gonna do? Persephone returned to Aphrodite's side. She was about to confess everything, but Aphrodite continued. She said she hurt after him, after Adonis, but she wasn't gonna give up. Just because things changed, things ended, didn't mean they weren't worth doing. She was going to take a much bigger view of things, not get caught up in the petty squabbles of Olympus. She was going to try to remember who she was. She, she was love. She was bigger than all of this. And it was time she acted like it. Persephone looked at her friend, you know, that was, that was good. And then gasps went up from the party. Aphrodite saw it. A golden apple roll out into the middle of the dance floor. Zeus yelled, saying that she shouldn't be here. Eris, the goddess of discord and strife, was snickering on the edge of the party before she took off in a run. Aphrodite didn't notice all that, though. She only saw the apple, the golden apple, inscribed with the words, to the fairest. Aphrodite, well, she was Aphrodite, so... She leaned down to get the apple and her hand bumped two others. Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena all looked at each other. Hey! That is where we're gonna leave Aphrodite's story. If you wanna see the fallout from this particular event, It's specifically in episode 132b, but it's pretty much the entirety of our Trojan War episodes. When it comes to Aphrodite, you have to look past what the story says and try to get a glimpse of what's actually there. Aphrodite is the goddess of beauty and lust and love and all that entails. And we've talked about it. Greek society was male-focused and male-dominated. The greatest boogeymen were in fact not boogeymen. They weren't the monsters that lurked in the dark places of the earth, or the creatures that overpowered the gods. They were the Amazons, the warrior women with no need for men, against whom even the likes of Heracles, Theseus, and others had to resort to trickery. Pandora was responsible for all the ills of the world. We touched on it a little bit in the early part of this episode, but the only recourse shamed spouses like Hera had were backbiting and revenge, 
but Aphrodite's cheating on Hephaestus was treated as the trial of the century. My main point here is that while the words say that Aphrodite was a crazed vixen, you have to consider who's saying those words. That being said, from any angle, the Aphrodite-Adonis love story is nothing but toxic. Later writers, i.e. 1,000 years after the story was put down to paper, but still about 1,000 years ago for us, would moralize it by saying that it was about how men should listen to women for wisdom, because Aphrodite warned Adonis about matching fearlessness with fearlessness. It was too much bravado. But I also think there's a meaningful lesson there about how Aphrodite loved Adonis, even though she knew it, ultimately, wouldn't last. Like Adonis, we are mortals. And just because life on Earth isn't forever doesn't mean it isn't worth living meaningfully with those we have and the time we have. The creature this time is the Buffardello from Italian folklore. The Buffardello is a small creature, around one and a half feet tall or half a meter. Sometimes they're little old men with beards. Sometimes they're children. Not sure if they're children with beards, that might be weird. But weirdest of all is when they're sitting on your chest while you sleep, suffocating you. They're probably invisible when they do that, which, you know, actually thanks. I would rather not have sleep paralysis and open my eyes to a bearded man and or child sitting on my chest. One horror at a time, please. They also enjoy holding people down and putting their hands over their mouths, trying to suffocate them that way. Thankfully, John the Apostle, or St. John, thought that it was a step too far and put helpful holes in their hands to give people air holes. Didn't, for some reason, stop the creature from doing it in the first place, but whatever, we'll take what we can get. Their antics run from mischievous to straight up weird. We'll run through them super fast. They hide or move objects, turn off the lights, tear wallpaper, walk up and down the stairs when everyone's sleeping. They drink wine straight from the barrels, throw laundry out on the lawn, drink milk straight from the cow, tangle the tails of horses, make horses fireproof, not sure who figured that one out, turn milk to oil, and suck the blood of domesticated animals sometimes until they die. The Buffardello especially don't like priests, and they'll break their glasses and make animal sounds in the rectory. Say you want to keep them out, which yes, you absolutely do. First, close the windows. Then keep an upturned broom leaning against the inside of your door and hang a juniper branch on the outside of your door with a bunch of berries on it. They're like old-timey vampires in that way, or, well, me when I have to write. They'll spend all their time doing something completely inconsequential and meaningless, in their case, counting the berries, forget what they were doing, and then do something else. But say they're already inside, well, all you have to do is have a candle made out of three different types of wax and a plate of juniper berries. When the creature trips over the plate, the owner of the house merely needs to order them to collect all the berries and, faced with the prospect of actual work, they'd rather leave. Also, you can eat cheese on the toilet, reciting a phrase in Italian I don't understand. If you don't want them to mess with you in bed, well, that's easy. Just go to bed with a piece of cloth over your face. Also, not to tell you your own business or anything, but if you're worried about not being able to breathe in your sleep, to the point that you're sleeping with your head wrapped in cloth, I think I might have some ideas about why you can't breathe in your sleep. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. 
Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.